0: your friends you don't go over there and shake hands smile hug their neck let's knock them on their backs put them in the mouth knock their ass in the dirt
1: that's what we got to do we got to stop that buddy ball smash everybody in the mouth hey baby we're gonna be here all day baby i like this kind of party i like this kind of party baby
0: This is Hour 3 of Big Dog Sports Talk with Rick Watson on the WRAD
1: Talk Network. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. You know what that means? Do you? We're underdog. We're mutts. My number one play is the power sweep. If you only knew the power of the dark side...
0: Time for the Big Dog Sports Talk Power Hour. To Mike Burnup and Jermaine Farrell. Hope you're doing well wherever you might be. Lots of text messages about the Tech football schedule coming in. Still, we'll get back to those. Joining us now on the program, he's the Radford University Hall of Famer. Used to terrorize the hardwood down in the Deadman Center. His
1: name is David Smith. David, how are you? Good morning, my friend. Good morning, terrorized. I appreciate that. Hey, Rick, by the way, as you bring in Cool and the Gang, I can't let the bumper music go without well, a comment. Yeah, yeah, They actually performed in the Devon Center. That's right. Once upon a time, um, if my memory serves me right, and that's sketchy these days, but I'm pretty sure w- Wifey and I, at the time, girlfriend, and I, I believe— uh, so cool in the gang and the in the Deadman Center to let you know oh. another reference to J.P. Taylor in the group. That's pretty oh, good stuff, right?
0: Oh, man. I tell you, why can't we do
1: that now? Why can't we get groups like that now, man? You know? Yeah, and you know what? I, that great question. Well, even the concerts at the Roanoke Civic Center, now the yeah. Bourbon Center, used to have were legendary yeah. I know. back in the day. So who, we need to get somebody on that, Rick. Let's, let's do that after we get this football season unpacked. That's How's it. that?
0: We'll do that once we, we'll do that after the launching of our podcast. We'll
1: take care of a schedule. There it is. <laughs> the long awaited podcast, which is now six months of conversation and zero, exactly. effort, yeah, zero put effort put into it. Zero effort
0: put into it. But That's
1: right. Let's let's get this let's get the Radford guys onto the NCAA tournament and ladies as well and right. pack this football up and then you and I will sit down and we'll have a lot to unpack for a podcast. Absolutely. Tuned,
0: Absolutely. All right, well, let's uh, get into first the uh, the NFC game. There wasn't a whole lot, really. I mean, after the injury to Purdy and then Josh Johnson, who, you know, how effective could he have been if he even, even would have stayed healthy? But it really was a kind of a crummy game after the injuries. The Eagles defense was able to predict that they were going to run the ball in the second half, which they did. Purdy okay. tried to give it a go. Now we found out he's going to be out maybe six or eight months next year. I mean, mm. so your thoughts on the mm. Eagles as they get ready? I mean, You've talked about it. I don't know how many times, David. They've been the best team, number one in your Power Four all year, and sure enough, they're going to the Super Bowl.
1: And they, they have. Why, why are we? No surprises here, right? Other than yeah, yeah. this game, Rick. You sit down before the game. One seed versus three seed. This game had the makings of everything you want. I know, Physicality I know. on both sides of the ball by both teams. Philly. Number three offense, number five rush offense, number three in turnover margin, number two defense in yards per game allowed. Big bad San Francisco, number one defense in yards per game allowed. Overall, number one rushing yards per game allowed. Number five total offense, Kyle Shanahan, the mad scientist, number eight in rushing offense, number one in in turnover margin with – their third quarterback. So it had all the makings, and everyone came into this game feeling like it was going to be everything. So let's get it, right? So the Eagles get the opening kickoff, and immediately San Francisco started to have their misfortune happen. Second play of the game, Fred Warner on a routine tackle. The all-everything linebacker goes down from a tackle, from what appeared to be a routine tackle on Miles Sanders. While he would return, it didn't stop the Eagles from taking off on their 11-play 66-yard drive. With a big pass play, if you recall, Rick, it's been a while now. On a fourth and three, the pass to Devontae Smith from Jalen Hurts for 29 yards, which looked like a great catch upon further review, which never occurred yeah. on the Jumbotron in Philly. Wasn't a catch. San Francisco didn't challenge it. Give Smith credit for getting his team up to the line to hurry up and make the play in the next snap. So that didn't get challenged. Two plays later, Sanders goes in for a six-yard TD. Eagles up 7 nothing. And then San Francisco's first possession, banana peel number two. Couple plays in, Brock Purdy gets unloaded by the somehow surgeon Hassan Reddick, who all of a oh sudden is gosh. Lawrence Taylor. What <laughs> in the world, right? Hit him on his throwing elbow, fumbles. Eagles recover. So now you got Purdy out, you got Warner who's been injured, and Joey Bosa. I think it's Joey. It Nick, I get him confused. Yeah, right. Was hit on the sideline on a on a punt or a kickoff. And he gets bleeding and cut up in the Mm -hmm. whole bit. So there's three critical players for them, banged up, haven't even sat down for half of the first quarter. But interestingly enough, Rick, as you watch this game, the Eagles' next three possessions and the next two possessions with San Francisco ended in punts. And then San Francisco, with their fourth stringer in the game, Josh Johnson, at the helm, put together a six-play drive that culminated in that fantastic 23-yard run, pretty much the only highlight for the Niners by Christian McCaffrey. And it's seven-seven, and it's and, and you're kind of thinking maybe their defense can hold on. Maybe Jalen hurts his arm, isn't everything? Yeah. The Eagles, so the Eagles then responded with a fourteen-play drive, three third-down conversions, and Sanders gets a thirteen-yard TD. So it's fourteen to seven, a minute thirty-six to go in the first half, and San Francisco gets the ball. And this is that part of the game where it changed. San Francisco with Josh Johnson in the game, minute thirty-six to go, just get out of there. You're going to get the ball to start the second half, 14-7. to 7. Well, the four-string quarterback, you're feeling okay. So he completes an 11-yarder to Debo, and then on the next play, the ball is snapped right to him, and he drops it, Rick. He drops the ball. The Eagles recovers that. Redick, again, with the recovery, that guy's been an animal. Three plays later, Philly scores. Now it's 21-7 to 7 before the half. Mm-hmm. It might as well have been 38-7 to 7, yeah. the way San Francisco yeah. couldn't score. Now the task is huge. Philly can now lean on the running game instead of there being 14-7 to 7 with San Francisco getting the ball to start the second half. And, of course, they start the second half. What happens? Now Josh Johnson goes out with a concussion, and the boulder starts rolling downhill. Purdy comes in. He's a sitting duck. He can't throw the ball. The Eagles knew this at that point. They were just going to fill up the box and take San Francisco. It doesn't matter how great you are. You're not going to outdeal with, with uh, too many numbers in the box. San Francisco was just handed the ball off. It looked like a third grade game at that point in terms of what they could do. The Eagles took advantage of that. They're so used to playing complimentary football. They tacked on another T D and the field goal resulting in the final 31 to seven score. But there was a couple of tips in there and key moments. Boy, you love to have seen if San Francisco just finds a way to get out of that first half. It's fourteen to seven. You know, lick your wounds. Can now you can run the ball and Johnson doesn't have to take those crazy hits. But he was a deer in the headlight. It was a little bit unfair for him, but it is what it is. And so now the Philadelphia Eagles, the NFL's best team all year long, are 16 and three, and they are marching on to Super Bowl 57. And congratulations to the San Francisco 49ers. Three conference championship games in the last four years. And in the biggest moment, the most important position of all sports, you relegated to your third and fourth string or back to the third string. You can't throw that makes it a little bit difficult for you. And so, San Francisco, congratulations on a 15-5 and season.
0: The Radford University Hall of Famer, David Smith, joining us on the program. I believe the tone was also set. I don't know what happens to Kyle Shanahan in the postseason, but how in the world could you not challenge that one play? I mean, it was a complete just brain lapse by him. That's the only way to say it. I mean, every year I hear the same thing about Kyle Shanahan. (laughs) He's a genius. Oh my Lord. I mean, catch- right. well he has as many championships, many as Lombardi trophies as any coach the Broncos have hired since then. That'd be zero. <laughs> and the bottom line is you've got to challenge, you've got to give yourself a chance in that game. And for him not to challenge that, I thought that was just one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen a coach make in the postseason in
1: a while. And 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 to put a bowl on that, Rick, a lot of times from what you hear, I mean, we're home and they're there. They've got staff members who are watching nothing but things yes. like that that will alert them of it. So if nothing else, whatever infrastructure you have in place to make that happen failed in that moment. And so you hate to think, you know, that there are people in place with jobs to do because while he's trying to plan the next sequence around the defense or whatever, to not challenge that and I'll give and, and for whatever reason, even the replay didn't even give us that for play for moments later. So I'm not sure if that was a Philadelphia control narrative, Fox didn't really, I think it was Fox game. Yeah. Didn't have that kind of replay, but nonetheless, forever a bridesmaid, never a bride. It seems like Shanahan is knocking on the door. What bothers me about the narrative on him this year and closing it is without a quarterback at all to do anything. We don't even know if San Francisco was a practical version of themselves. And so that does, it didn't help that they didn't challenge that. And yet, what really screwed it up is 14-7, to chance to get out of the first half without a lot of damage. That fumble by Josh Johnson inexplicably, it hurt him along the way. But Shanahan is the coach. He's going to have to wear the brunt of this, no question, no question.
0: All right, the AFC game uh, has been shrouded with a lot of controversy. It's still being talked about. Uh, the Chiefs advance, I mean, uh, however you want to look at it, I think we can all agree on one thing. Whether you believe the game was fixed, which I don't believe after I've calmed down from when it was happening in real time, (laughs) when I was texting you out of anger. Yep. um, Yep. (laughs) I believe that uh, it was definitely a slant uh, in favor of the Chiefs just in terms of the calls. Um, But I guess the game breaks down in in one or two ways. One way is that the Chiefs found a way to make plays. I know they had a little help, but bottom line too, that bingo offensive line that we've been watching and wanting to see if they could hold up finally didn't and Chris Jones had a field day, and that was really ultimately, despite everything else, I think the thing that prevented Cincinnati from advancing.
1: No question about it, and everyone looks at the last play, the push by Joseph Asai on the sideline. That certainly didn't help their chances. Special teams feel free to not let the punt return go 29 yards down the sideline, at which point that push would not have been as much of a factor. But coming into the game, it had all of the hype, just like the NFC game did. Arguably, the two best quarterbacks in the game. You've been a Mahomes. You've been Mahomes, Mahomes, Mahomes all year. Mm-hmm. Give you credit for that. Why shouldn't we be? Maybe we took him for granted. He's not played a playoff game outside of Kansas City, <laughs> right? Which is the most incredible statistic I've ever heard. When I saw that, I thought it was a mistake. And yet, Joe Burrow comes into it having been three and zero against Mahomes wherever they played. This uh, arguably his his rival. In my opinion, I think this is going to be your Manning. Brady type thing, if we can call it that. The Bengals come into Arrowhead Stadium, was on a 10 game winning streak. Hadn't lost since Halloween against Cleveland, of all people, 32 to 13. So when you think about how the season plays along, you just got to keep steady. Chiefs on a seven game streak, their last loss was to the Bengals on December 4th by three, ironically. And since his first two possessions, uh, to be honest, Rick, resulted in punts, while Kansas City's first two resulted in field goals, which is always concerning, as you know. You kick too many field goals, you find yourself losing games. Yet, to only get three each time, as this rivalry tends to be, Rick, once one team makes a move, the other one responded. And that's exactly what happened. After the second Kansas City field goal, Cincinnati responded with a 13-play drive that stalled at the Kansas City 12 resulting in their first score 30-yard field goal. Mahomes and Kansas City, since they were going to need TDs, put together a 75-yard drive. That included the gutsy fourth and one at the Bengals 14, if you remember could have kicked a field goal and gone up 9-3 instead. Mahomes hits Kelsey for the 14-yard and making it 13-3. to How different would that four-point swing be? Look at the final score of the game. They win by three. They kick a field goal there. They may not get a chance to get back down there for that. So After the Cincinnati interception, the Bengals close out the half, kicking a very frustrating field goal right before the half, if you remember that. That's when they had them kicking themselves, too. Instead of being 13-10, to it would end up being 13-6. to So Second half, Kansas City goes three and out. On the end of that first half, momentum. Here comes Cincy. They kept it going with the T. Higgins touchdown over two defenders. But that man with the high ankle sprain, somehow he gets his crew down to the end zone uh, on his own 77 yard drive. That comes 19 yard pass to Marquez Valdez Scantley, who had a great day. That sliding reception put him up 20 to 13. And then the Chiefs have a chance to close it out at that point when the Bengals go three and out. Mahomes fumbles just fumble the ball, pops out of his hands. I guess that's what 10 degrees will do to you, right? And so Bengals get that recovery. They go down and tie the game. And just like that, we've got ourselves a game. From there, Frank Clark took over, as we talked about, causing havoc. sacking Burrow on third and eight, resulting in that fateful last sequence, starting with a punt to Skymore, returns at 29 yards to the Chiefs, 47-yard line, 41 seconds to go. And, yes, Rick, Several questionable blocks <laughs> yeah. on that return Mini. that were yeah. um, that we've seen less or that much get called before. And so um, at that particular point, this is the third and fourth situation where Mahomes runs to the right. We've seen it a million times. Goes out of bounds to get the first down. Pushed by Joseph Asai, tacking on 15 yards, setting up the butker, 45-yarder, and sending the Chiefs to Super Bowl 57. And congratulations to both them and Cincy. Since he finished in the season at 14-5, and Joe Burrow with a 26-41 or day, 270. He is the perfect guy for that team. You know, Rick, sometimes you wonder, you know, if you recall when, when, when the draft picks was coming out, there was skepticism of whether he'd want to go there. Well, I don't want to go back there. They're a morbid franchise. It's hard to even imagine Cincinnati without him. He will break the bank this summer. And shout out to how even the stats were in that game, Rick. Yardage was 357 to 309, favoring Kansas City. 66 to 63 plays compared to each other. Time of possession was only five minutes apart. And shout out to the Kansas City Chiefs overall, getting the win, going to 16 and three, and will face the Philadelphia Eagles. Sunday, February twelfth, my friend, at six thirty on Fox. So we've got a week in between games.
0: That's right. We got to deal with all the uh, hype. The league, of mm. course, uh, did not address any of the officiating concerns. People were, not a bit. Buggy, you know, and that's what I figured was going to happen. But I do hope that at some point, a twenty or more billion dollar annually <laughs> earnings league will figure out a way to improve what has continued to be. Something that's dragging the game down. They've got to make these guys full-time. They've got to do something to give them incentive to get better, whatever it might be. But that's got to be a full-time gig, just like being a player or coach at this point.
1: The league's just would, too big for that. I, to your point, Rick, I would even consider, and this just came to mind seconds ago, maybe for the playoffs you need to add another official. Now, I'm not sure where you're going to hide him in a field of 22 players flying all over the place, spread out more than ever. I'm not so sure we don't need just to have an extra set of eyes on the field during playoff games. Anyway, just to make sure that you improve every chance of getting things right and things of that nature, whether you have automatic buzz downs from the top on plays that look controversial in case the team can't spot it. I think it's that important to have plays get right. And even if players on the uh, officials on the field miss it, maybe we need to have the eye in the sky because if America can see it, and the players and the, and the coaches don't see it. It seems like to me it's a bit of a disconnect. So maybe we need to improve it in that fashion. We certainly are hopeful that they get it right. Absolutely.
0: All right. Well, great stuff, brother, as always. Keep pulling for those Highlanders. Are you guys going to be
1: at uh, Deadman on Saturday for Winthrop? We will be there on Saturday. And I wanted to finish up one thing with you, sir. Yeah. On our last picks for the playoffs. Oh, yeah, I forgot about the picks. Last picks on the playoffs, unfortunately for you, nah, I know. you took Cincy in the Niners. Nah, I, I took know. Cincy and Philly, which in essence ties us up for the playoffs. So the Super Bowl Uh-oh. that we will pick next week will determine who will be the <laughs> postseason picks champion as compared to the regular season. And if that ends up in a tie, we will just distinguish what a tiebreaker is. And then at that point, we will determine who will buy the <laughs> luscious meal this spring on Big Dog Talk Radio, NFL version. I like
0: yes, it. Sir. I like it. I like it. Yeah, we'll have to get into that. Maybe we'll have to pick the final score of the uh, Super Bowl game. Yes. Maybe that'll be We're going to have to we gotta have a tiebreaker <laughs> to make this all work. Absolutely.
1: We will We will be there on Saturday rooting from the sideline, my good friend.
0: All right, man. Well, we'll see you then. And my best to your lovely wife, and we'll see you guys. Great stuff as always, David.
1: You got it, man. Good luck to the guys tomorrow. Go yes, Highlanders.
0: Yes, sir. Go Highlanders indeed. That's David Smith, the Radford Hall of Famer. Great breakdown as always. Wow, it's coming down to the Super Bowl just the way it should, right? The big game. Big game for our picks. I could talk today for the rest of the show, you know? all Three hours, we could just talk about whatever. All right, we'll take a break, come back, head into the bottom of the hour when we return. in the New River Valley, period. And you can quote us on that.
1: That's the fact, Jack! That's the the fact, fact, Jack!
0: More Big Dog next on WRAD. news hit was coming it was inevitable sorry flash one more segment to go it'll come your way next as we motor along here on a Tuesday we'll be back chart Toppers well, well, <laughs> oh, yeah, 639-4900 on the uh, studio line. That's the Louise Baker team hotline. Text line open 744-2990. Thanks to uh, David Smith for joining us. Breaking down the championship games. I- I'm still a little... Dismayed over the whole Chiefs game. Like, my now that I've had a little more initial reaction and emotion removed from it, I don't believe there was some major fix because I go back and I read all the situations around the NBA, Tim Donahue, when he got, um, well, got fired, got arrested spent time in jail for fixing games and all these things. Um, And how they thought they had all their bases covered, right? And there's always going to be somebody who's not going to be in on it. So I don't believe there's ever, just to be honest, in an honest scenario, as much as we look at things and we can see that something's not right, there still wasn't something right with that game. And I don't know if it's just ineptitude of the officials or, you know, whatever it might be. But, yeah, now that you look at it, there were a lot of things that could have gone on from the Eagles' perspective that wouldn't have come down to that. But, regardless, Chiefs are in, Eagles are in. You can definitely make the argument, since, you know, both were the number one seeds, that uh, the best two teams are in the Super Bowl. But, Now the key is staying away from all the excessive hype and any little story. Unless, of course, it involves somebody who is a prominent player not participating in the game. Let's just ignore it. Let's just line it up and kick it off at this point. Tech tonight against Miami. One of three games in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Clemson continues to roll, 10 and one in the league. They have 18 wins overall. Just three and a half point favorites at Boston College. Could this be a little bit of a trap game for the Tigers, who aren't really, you know, that impressive on the road. They win, but you know, we'll see. And Wake Forest is at Duke tonight, Duke eight and a half point favorites at home. I would think they would navigate through that okay. Wake is somewhat formidable, but, you know, usually they go down to that environment and crumble. Tim Duncan's not walking through that door. But for Tech, four-point underdogs at Miami, a golden opportunity. We've already talked about it. Mike Burnup. you know, Miami's got Jim Laranaga, backcourt, I mean, they are a good team. They got 16 wins. They're seven and four. Not unbeatable. And I think Texas got to take that mentality there. Um, Elsewhere in the top 25 tonight, Kansas State is at Kansas. That's number seven against number eight. UConn, number 24 at DePaul. Vanderbilt at number four, Alabama. Alabama got throttled in the dreaded uh, SEC Big 12 Challenge. Sure, we were all pumped for that. The West Virginia Mountaineers, as Tony Creedy would say. Uh, take it on number 15, TCU. Bobby Huggins' team starting to play a little better. Indiana, number 21 against Maryland, up at College Park. And some of those West Coast teams that you don't watch a lot, big one, however, in the Mountain West, San Diego State and Nevada. Aztecs, number 22 in the country. And these are the type of teams who could show up in your NCAA bracket and you're going to go, well, I haven't, really, I haven't really watched much of that. What's going to happen there? They're pretty good. And that's your top 25 action for today, of course, all highlighted by the Virginia Tech-Miami game for the folks around here. Virginia took care of business last night up in New York against Syracuse, knocking them off 67 Sixty-two, Kihei Clark, another strong game, as Virginia continues to motor along. I'll be on the road tomorrow. Radford taking on Presbyterian. That will be on the air at six thirty. That's a seven o'clock tip. As Radford tries to complete the sweep of the Palmetto State, never, never easy. As Radford tries to uh, get win number 15 of the year and go to 9-2 and two in the conference, one game behind UNC Asheville, who is off tomorrow. So they can pull to within a half game with a win. Longwood, who Radford beat on national television, lost this past weekend. Bit of an upset for them. Charleston Southern beat them in Farmville. So this league it's we just talked about it with David Smith. that's why mid-major leagues, you know are so much fun, and <laughs> it can be frustrating, but boy, you just yeah it's, seriously, it, it sounds like the cliche that I know that it is, but you just never know. and that's the way most conferences are, and that's why conference play highlights the college basketball schedule so much, and I love it, love it. Text football schedule, we've broken it down, I think, in pretty good detail. We're not making any kind of final analysis on it because we just don't know yet what any of these teams are going to look at. I think Mike's always salient points came across, especially with the three out of the final four on the road. That's a concern. It's strange to see so many Atlantic – or, I'm sorry, the artists formerly known as the Atlantic Division teams – On the schedule. That's a little odd. Only two Coastal squads, former Coastal, Pitt and Virginia. And the two Big Ten teams on the schedule, I think there's a lot of questions. Purdue's got an entirely new coaching staff. They lost a lot of players from their Big Ten West division title last year. And Rutgers is, well, they're Rutgers. Then, of course, the bookends between those two games, or at least at the other end of each of those games, is Old Dominion to lead off, and then you go to Marshall, and then you're out of the non-conference. No non-conference game kind of shows up after you play one conference contest. That's why I said earlier that Virginia's – from a fan perspective, Virginia's non-conference much more attractive. I mean, the first three games you got Tennessee, JMU, and then Maryland. You got regional interest. You've got former ACC, a big rival, Virginia and Maryland. Much like Virginia Tech and West Virginia, Virginia and Maryland should play every year. It's good that they are, but that is going to be just a, a lot of genuine and general interest fact that they also open up ACC play against their former quarterback Brandon Armstrong. Tech will have a chance to host Brandon Armstrong. I mean, it's it's interesting. It really is. But there are a lot of questions surrounding the new schedule. We'll see how it plays out from a fan's perspective. I mean, I can appreciate what the league is trying to do. But you do miss, or at least already I can tell, I miss seeing those traditional coastal rivals in there. A little strange. But manageable. But Tech has to figure out its roster first. I don't believe Brent Pryor worried too much about the schedule right now. It's something for fans, shows like us to talk about. I mean, Tech's known who they're going to play. We've known who they were going to play, just a matter of how it lined up. And it's still something to talk about with football as we go through this time now without it. This weekend, by the way, will be the first weekend without real football. I think the pro ball is now, what, flag football? Not that I'm complaining because the Pro Bowl had morphed into nonsense. Once you had so many insurance policies and the agents and the NFLPA get involved, nobody was putting forth any effort, and I guess it didn't make sense, right, for the clubs themselves. At some point, you did not want to risk the health of some of your major superstars playing in a pointless game. So I don't know what it's going to look like with the Mannings and all this. It it won't be very interesting. Could be mildly entertaining, but it is what it is. And then you go back to what the Pro Bowl used to be back in the 60s and the 70s. Remember the All-Star games? They used to have the All-Star games where college All-Stars would play the NFL teams. I mean, all these games that were lined up and There was never any consideration for long-term injury. You just played the games. Now it's changed so much. And I don't really believe any of those games are necessary. The Pro Bowl needed to end considering what it had become. It didn't make sense. As the game has evolved, as the athletes have gotten bigger and stronger. The big problem is with the Pro Bowl in games like that, or in an All-Star game, you may have a mindset as a player that, (laughs) okay, I'm a five-time Pro Bowler. We just won the Super Bowl or whatever it may be. Of course, it's always skewed that the two teams in the Super Bowl don't participate in the Pro Bowl because they're busy. But I'm just saying you may have a, a Hall of Fame career and you're back in the Pro Bowl. You may take this game in one way and your mentality might be you're not going to take it very seriously. You're not going to go full speed. What if there's a guy, some young guy on the other team just wants to take your head off? Is it the old uh, – what's the old footage we always see on a, it was a punt return, I think. I think it was, may have been the late Sean Taylor from the uh, Redskins who laid in this huge, massive takeout block on a punt return. Looked like he had decapitated the guy. And those are the kind of things you're trying to avoid. So I really don't have a problem with it. But I think that's all the Pro Bowl is now, flag football. But it's our first full weekend without any kind of football since, um, what, late August? You always see those tweets and people posting on social media, hey, just think, this is our last weekend of no football for four and a half months. And now when it gets here, you're like, "Eh, it's, it's over. And this is where traditionally the NFL has done such a great job of filling in those moments, right? So anyway, we'll see. We'll see. By the way, if you go to our uh, BDST Facebook page, Facebook, the electric friendship generator. I found just perusing on the, uh, the Twitter Remember the old gumball plastic NFL helmets? Somebody put a picture up of an actual standings board that holds the helmets with a bunch of extras. One of my all-time favorite discoveries early in the morning, but you can check it out there. Man, it was nothing better going over here in Christiansburg to the old Hills Department Store. getting in the gumball machine there at the end, getting a, well, it may have been a dime then. I'm sure it wasn't a quarter. Seeing all the helmets lined up and twisting that thing around and seeing which one you got. Oh, man, those were the best days. Those were better than the old rubber Super Bowls. And you're talking about a guy who loved him some Super balls. now. I'm just telling you. You know, you get those things out, you bounce them around the store, and your mom yells at you because they're, Banging off other people's carts. (laughs) Man, when you got to the gumball helmets, and you know, it always had the face mask separated from the helmet, and then it had the logos and the stripe. If they had a stripe on the helmet, you could stick on there yourself. Man. I mean, that is something you just can't recapture. I wish kids could get excited about things like that today. I mean, that's usually the reason I wanted to go. Like, if I knew I wasn't going to be allowed to get anything at the store, I knew I could probably get a couple of dimes, put in the uh, gumball helmet machine at the end, and uh, be very, very happy on the way home, especially if I would have gotten a Broncos helmet. Of course, if you went to Hills, you always got the... uh, you always got the popcorn and the old, uh, the icy too. The old cherry icy. So it ended up being a really strong visit. Yeah, Wayne's right. Yeah, you'd stick your fingers up in there and you could feel the bottom of some of the, you, you tried to rip one out. <laughs> yeah, you used to try to rip one out. Yeah, No, can't quite fit it through there. <laughs> He says they were full of lions and buccaneers. I remember a lot back when I remember lots of uh it seems like to me, my memory, there was always a lot of cowboys. The Chargers seemed to always show up. Or the Jets. Seems like I got a lot of the old white Jets helmet out of the old helmet gumball machine. It just feels that way. The Browns, I remember the Browns showed up a lot. And then you're always disappointed when you got the Browns helmet because you couldn't put stickers on the side. You just had the stripe down the middle, and you were done. Hey, wait! You know that's right. Some of them did have, uh, you know, they brought back the elf this year. Some of those um, earlier ones did have the uh, the side because it used to be that way. the 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 CB with the elf logo that didn't really go on the helmet, but you could put it on there if you wanted. But anyway, I put that picture up. Check it out on the Facebook page. It's pretty cool to look at all those helmets. Final break, coming back, wrapping it up. Remind you what's ahead tomorrow. Stay with us here. Don't go away.
1: the other guys and frankly we've heard enough
0: now shut that door and get the
1: hell out of here
0: the grown-ups are talking so sit down and listen yeah, that's right big dog sports talk with rick watson returns next on the wrad talk network Anyway, Uh thanks to Mike Burnham, Jermaine Farrell, and David Smith. The bell toils for thee. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, everybody. Stay safe, and we will see you tomorrow on the Wednesday edition of the program. Take care.
1: here at News Center for. I'm Ron Burgundy.
0: You stay classy, New River Valley.